Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast. Stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacey Brookman. Embrace and let the emotions of pain or grief to come up when they need to. The sense of not pressuring ourselves to get over or through something. When we have something really hard that's happened, we don't get to just shut the door on it. If you allow that kindness for yourself to let things well up when they need to, find that safe space, it's actually going to create less of a buildup later on. This is Stacy Brookman, and I'm glad you're listening to Real Life Resilience, the podcast that brings you a range of tools and stories to heal from tough life situations. My guest today has been through stressful, sad, and very tough times with infertility and miscarriage. Yet, she found her resilience and has used it to grow in ways she never imagined. Jeanette White is the third interview in our series from the Allender Center, and you're not going to want to miss this one. Before we discover more, let me share something with you that might change your life. You've always been a strong person, stronger than you realize, actually. But sometimes, thinking about the past unearths emotions and memories that are painful. Let us take you step-by-step through discovering your life story and the wisdom and healing power that it holds. Register now for Stacy's next free webinar where she reveals the four simple, proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story this week. Simply click on the link in the show notes or head to stacybrookman.com slash webinar. I love to hear from listeners personally, and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode or to ask me a question. My email is stacy at stacybrookman.com. Now let's welcome Jeanette White. Hey Jeanette, what a privilege to have you as the capstone to the Allender Center series I've been doing. I really appreciate your time. Oh, you're so welcome. It's such a privilege to be invited to have this conversation with you today. I know that you've probably become a more resilient person over the course of your adult life, correct? Yes, absolutely. A lot of things have happened in adult life that have (laughs) moved me in that direction. Hopefully most people can say that, but can you share some thoughts on what resiliency is and what you think it isn't? You know, I love that question because in thinking through having this conversation with you today, I actually went to look up, I was like, what does our dictionary tell us? You know, resilience, <laughs> what is it? Right. How does that kind of hit me and my personal story? And, you know, it was really interesting to see the definition that our culture holds around resilience. It's that capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It's the ability of something to like spring back into shape and have elasticity. And I think those are like fine definitions when you're talking about objects like a rubber band being stretched or a company recovering from a financial hit. What I realized for me, the moment I read those things, what came up for me is that the second you bring the human heart and the impact of some of the incredibly difficult things we all face into the reality of this, I just have a really different way of nuancing what we might think of as the typical definition of resiliency. You know, I would say the reality is, is that we never fully spring back into the exact shape we were prior to something difficult or life altering happening to us, you know, it changes us. And I think it's what we do with how it's impacted us and changed us that that speaks to our capacity for resiliency. And I really see that happening in kind of two stages, which I think it'll be fun to to talk about as we get into our conversation today of what that's looked like for me and kind of how I've seen those two stages play out for myself. Right. Let me ask you this. Do you think that anybody can become resilient? You know, I do because I think resiliency, I feel like it's about 
both relationship and action and capacity to reflect. And I, I think that those are things that we all have a chance to step into. And I, I don't want to go so far as to say it's only a choice because that would be naive, knowing everyone has a different kind of story and different things that have made it more difficult and different situations which they might be thinking about resiliency. But yes, I do. I think a level of it is possible for everyone. And you've had some tough life situations. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey and some of the things that have affected you throughout your life? Yeah, absolutely. The backdrop of anything I think I'll be saying around resiliency is really linked to my personal journey, which has been connected to a lot of traumatic loss and grief, specifically around the realm of infertility and miscarriage. Mm. And that's been a many years journey that my husband and I have had to weather. We had, let's see, almost six years of struggle with multiple miscarriages, every test in the book, and just a medical intervention to the nth degree. And then a long season throughout that peppered with just total inability to get pregnant. And that for me has been a huge, huge life event that went on for, as I mentioned, a number of years that I don't think we're ever necessarily going to be past it, but it is in the face of that level of loss and grief where I would say kind of my capacity for just understanding grief, understanding what other people are going through, having an imagination for care for what people need, like that's all kind of been forged in something that I would have never thought I'd go through, never would have wished for, but I can say and to some degree on the other side that there's been places where again, the resiliency that I have been able to move towards has provided different levels of strength through my life and how I'm able to kind of live that out in the world. It's been a tough road. And like I said, we're still on it, but we do have a beautiful, rambunctious, amazing little boy. Um, (laughs) Congratulations. That's awesome. Yes. At the end of all of that. So that has been a huge light and gift. Yeah. I've learned a lot about fostering resiliency, like in the aftermath of loss and grief. So that's really kind of the lens that I want to bring to our conversation today. And going back to that time when you were experiencing miscarriages and trying to get pregnant, the infertility, it's its physical, emotional, spiritual, that affects you in pretty much all areas of your life, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Before it happened to us, it's one of those things where you hear about things happening, about other people having miscarriages or stillborns or, or things, and it, and it feels so tragic, but it feels so external. And there was something that was just so pivotal in that shift of going through it and going, oh my gosh, I just, I had no idea. So the way that my eyes were opened so sadly, because of course, you know, it's such a hard thing to have to go through, but it really set me on a journey beyond all of the things we were navigating emotionally and physically and all of that. And it really just set me on a journey to understand more of the story and cycle of grief for people. So take us into that. You mentioned the two phases of resilience. Take us through that period of loss and grief for you and how you became more resilient through that. Well, I'll just kind of put these out there and then we'll kind of see where it goes, I guess. Sure. So yeah, so as I I think I mentioned this in the beginning is that I've just really sensed that at least for my life personally, I think that there might be some universality for this for people, but it's kind of those two stages of resiliency. I think the first stage for me in my story was about how to foster that resiliency in the aftermath, the direct aftermath of the losses and griefs we were facing. So it's about getting through that immediate lingering 
like just pain, grief, whatever it is. So there's four realms there that I wanted to talk about. The second step for what I experienced, again, having gone through it a number of times in a row, it's like, wow, this feels thematic, at least for me, is around action as resilience. For me, it's like I've moved out from the most acute stages of the loss and the grief, the movements towards resiliency and kind of recovery within that. Now it's about action as resiliency, how I've been changed and reshaped in the new way that I'm able to interact with the world around me as a result of that difficulty. So I think resiliency is an action if it eventually moves you towards deeper wisdom, care, or love for others in your world. And if it's all right, I'd love to just dive in a little bit more to that first one. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioning four realms. If you would speak to, did you seek out being more resilient or did it come more naturally or how did that come about at two as you go through this? You know, I feel like it's almost hindsight is twenty twenty thing. And I realize the things that I did that helped and the things that didn't. I wouldn't say that I was seeking out resiliency per se. I also know that I am a woman of a lot of strength internally that can sometimes, it's lovely, but it also is costly. Because I think around that kind of first phase of resiliency for me, one of the things that I feel like is so important and that I struggled with, but when I did it, it was so life-giving. It was about letting people in, getting out of that isolation that I think can be so easy when we're in the middle of something that's really difficult. I'm an internal processor. I kind of hold everything inside. I feel like I should be kind of able to like figure things out for myself. The other side of that coin is I allow myself to feel like failed by people because I didn't let them in. So I had to do a lot of work internally to make choices, to reach out to people that I knew who loved me, that I trusted, who I knew weren't going to be pushing me towards like advice or how to get over it or how to feel better, but they could actually just bring good presence for me. And I had to make that choice to step into those places where I knew I'd been invited, but I still kind of wanted to just curl up inside myself and be sad or be in the grief or feel like I could say, like, oh, people don't see me. Right. Because the reality is, is they were right there. So I think that that, one of the things for me was that choice to let people in and get out of that isolation. That had to be very hard because our tendency is to say, nobody knows what I'm going through. Well, I mean, some people do, but the people around me don't necessarily know what I'm going through. And I don't want to have to re-explain this every time. I'm just going to act as if nothing's going on. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's such an easy thing. And again, not to say that I didn't do that, you know, on often, but when I did make that choice to step in and tell someone, Hey, I need coffee or to sit down with my husband and share more of kind of where I was at. Cause you know, we were both on our own journeys with this as well. Mm-hmm. We're deep connected and intersected, but we also are our own individual people who are handling pain in a different kind of way. So that was one part that was really big for me. And I know that that was a choice. I think the other thing that I hope is just an encouragement for people around resiliency is allowing yourself to just embrace and let the emotions of pain or grief, whatever it is that you might be struggling with, to just come up when they need to. Uh Obviously, we have situations in life where we can't step out necessarily from a meeting or something if something comes up, but it's just just a sense of not pressuring ourselves to get over or through something. When we have something really hard that's happened, we don't get to just shut the door on it. And... I think if you allow that kindness for yourself to let things well up when they need to find that safe space and, you know, just let that come, it's actually going to create less of a buildup. 
later mm-hmm. on. So those are kind of two of the simple things for me that made choices around. I was like, okay, I, I might have different places where I need to sh- kind of shut down how I'm feeling and come back to it later, but just allow myself to be like, wow, I've been going through something really painful. It's okay for this to well up and to impact me, mm-hmm. which really for me kind of brings me to the third thing I wanted to share around some of the stuff that has been helpful around that resiliency movement within that really intense time of just acute pain. And that's journaling. Oh, I'm a big fan of journaling. I know, Stacy. I know journaling. Sometimes it can kind of get this like bad rap or kind of this rap. Oh gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should all journal. Right. And I don't personally normally journal, but when I've been going through really intense times, I do. I break out my notebook and it's been such a good release. And I I wanted to share a little bit with our listeners today, a little bit about a study actually on the power of writing and how it impacts our bodies and our minds around processing stressful or traumatic events. Oh, fabulous. Please do. So it's a psychologist, James Pennebaker, and he conducted a really fascinating test of how the power of writing can help to relieve trauma, improve physical and mental health. I actually read about this in another prominent psychologist book that you're probably familiar with, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Oh, yes. You know, it was a test where Pennebaker asked his psychology students to identify a specific past experience they'd found very stressful or traumatic. And then what he did is he divided the class into three groups. So he had had one group that just wrote about kind of like superficial things about what was currently happening in their lives. The second group wrote about just the specific details of the traumatic event that they'd identified. And then there was this third group who wrote not only about the facts of the traumatic experience, but they also wrote about their feelings and emotions about what happened and the kind of impact they believed that had had on their lives. They did this exercise for like four consecutive days and they just wrote continuously for 15 minutes of each day, just kind of like free writing. And that was it. So it was a total of an hour of writing. Not much. Yeah. And here's what happened. This was just so fascinating to me. So, you know, the topics people were writing about, they were intense. They were childhood traumas, death of family mm-hmm. members, sexual abuse. A part of the research also included asking the students about their physical health. And what was revealed was that those who had reported a traumatic sexual experience in childhood had also been hospitalized in the previous year at almost twice the rate of the other writers. Oh, wow. So they had this data at their fingertips. And then what they did is they compared the number of visits to the student health center participants had made during the month prior to the study where they did the writing exercises to Mm -hmm. the number of visits in the month following the study. And what they found is that the group that had written about both the facts and the emotions related to their trauma, they had a 50% drop in doctor visits. It just is really a groundbreaking study showing that writing about our deepest thoughts, our feelings, just letting them out really can improve mood and physical better health. They've done numerous experiments to replicate those findings and it just consistently shows writing about upsetting events improves our physical and mental health. So that's like, if nothing else, I think for folks who have had a setback in their life, something that has been lingering and difficult to engage 15 minutes a day for four consecutive days, just sit down and let it flow. Don't think about it. You just write about it. You 
write about your feelings, emotions, the kind of impact you think it's had on your life. And that's a total of an hour. That's a practice I think we could all do. For me, I never did it that intentionally because I didn't know about this study back then, but it felt so true. It rang so true to my experience of how helpful that was to just get things out on paper. And one of the things I've learned from the Allender Center is that when you put things down on paper, you find a name for it. When you're able to name it, then you can put it away much easier. Yeah. And I think it brings up things that you maybe didn't see coming when you start Mm -hmm. writing. There's just something different that happens in your brain. It just helps. You know, I think people in this study, this particular one, they kind of talked about how it helped them really think back to how they did feel and how do they feel about it now. And so it kind of unlocks emotions. Is it the Latin word for emotion is energy in motion? Like that, that basically like our emotions are energy within our body. And if you have something pretty intense from your past that has just sort of been stuck because as a culture, again, we kind of just shove it down and hope it'll go away. (laughs) Right, It's going to spring up and out. So to bring it up and out in this kind of way can be really therapeutic. So that's something that I personally found. I I just, I had to do it. It was almost just kind of like this impulsive, like I have to sit down and write and get this out. And then the fourth thing for me, again, this is kind of a newer thing for me around some recent grief that I've been facing. I lost my dad earlier this year, very unexpectedly, and it was a very traumatic loss for our whole family. I'm so sorry to hear that. There's, you know, this technique that I've been learning about these past few months in my process. I'm currently getting certified for an essential oil technique called the Aroma Freedom Technique. Interesting. Or shorts, just called AFT. It's a step-by-step process for identifying and releasing negative thoughts, feelings, and memories that interfere with reaching our goals and our life dreams. And it's really meant to be used as a way to set a person's emotional energy flowing in a positive direction towards growth and expansion rather than you know being stuck in just these places of fear, doubt, and paralysis. And I mention it here because it's something that's really fascinating about the technique is the way it actually helps people identify memories and emotions attached to past painful experiences that we just never would have thought were at all linked to current day struggles or mental blocks that we're facing. Hmm. And that's how all this stuff kind of gets locked up in your limbic system and your emotional control center of your brain. When you have, you have trauma or stressful events, they get stuck there versus kind of getting filed away where the rest of your memories do. So, so it, you know, it's this technique. It really helps release those the emotional hold those past memories have maybe unwittingly had on us. And really, I, this is where this resiliency thing comes in because it's helping people move forward in places that we do want more health, more resiliency, and confidence and growth. For me personally, there's a whole section specifically just on discrete memory resolution. You can use it outside of like the whole goal setting process and just use it to support disrupting the emotional hold that a particular stressful memory may have on you. So it's using the power of scent with those essential oils along with like specific focusing instructions on the stressful memory. And it just supports a gentle release of how the brain is holding on to that memory. And for me personally, I've been using it, used it several times in the last few months around just some ongoing, really difficult memories, disturbing memories I have of some of those last few minutes with my dad before Mm -hmm. we lost him suddenly. And it's been critical for me in this acute season of grief 
to have this technique as a tool to help my body and emotions process such a difficult personal loss. I mention that because it sounds bizarre, right? right. Wait, what, what is this? I'm going to smell some oils and it's going to help my memories, you know, not feel so strong. But with this technique, it's just... If people are out there and they have memories kind of haunting themselves, keeping you up at night, things you feel yourself obsessing about, it's just a gentle tool. It's a movement towards resiliency and healing in the way that it helps to resolve the limbic system sort of hold, that fight or flight, just emotional reactive hold that those memories that are so emotionally charged have. So it helps to just dissipate and make those a little bit less intense. So is it because the sense of smell is connected to the brain and it affects that in some way? Is that how it works? Yeah. Part of that is that the olfactory system is directly linked to our amygdala, right. our whole limbic system area. If you think about memories that like if you, you know, you might be walking by a store and you get a, a waft of like a freshly baked cookie, you might be immediately transported back to some kind of memory of hanging out at your best friend's house and, you know, you loved her mom and they always made cookies on Fridays after school. Like right. similarly, have very negative associations with smell. So it's an instant kind of reaction before we're even mentally, cognitively aware, we're emotionally aware of what that scent does. So this actually helps to kind of remap in some ways. It helps us dive into that memory complex of the emotion and where we feel that emotion in our body tied to that memory. And it's this little process that you use with the oils and some specific ways that you focus into that memory and breathe and think about it that just helps release that creates kind of like a different pathway almost as it releases that hold. I like that. Remapping. That's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. The person who developed it, his name's Dr. Benjamin Perkis, but he's been a clinical psychologist for about 20 years. And he's, he kind of likened it to EMDR, if anyone's familiar with that. It's kind of mm -hmm. like the essential oil version of EMDR, but it's, he, he would say that his experience of it with clients is that the memory resolution technique with the oils is actually a lot gentler and even faster. Huh. It's really amazing. It's been such a gift to get certified in offering that. And I just, I, I love it. I've have been so intrigued. So while I didn't have this back then when I was going through all of this stuff related to fertility and miscarriage, it has been so helpful to me in my most recent place that's still so tender around my dad. And it's been an important addition to all the other things that I have talked about today. So let me ask you more about this technique. Is it something that someone can do on their own or do they need to go to a psychologist for this or who, who would they go to to find out more about this technique? Well, don't need to do it with a therapist. The beauty of this thing is there's actually a way that you could do it for yourself because it's just a very set step-by-step -step process. However, I have found that working with someone who's actually a practitioner, it's nice to have another set of eyes and someone to kind of help guide you through. Right. So what people can do, it's just the aroma freedom technique people can look up. And like I said, I'm also in the certification process and will be done probably in a couple of weeks weeks and be accessible for clients as well if that's something that they wanted to talk to me about too. So you can do it via Zoom. You would need to have a particular set of essential oils that we would talk through those blends. And then you could work directly with a practitioner over Zoom or Skype or in person. Very cool. And we'll make sure to put links for that in our show notes. It's something new. Yeah, absolutely. It's really great. So finally, your second phase, you had action. Tell me about that. Yeah. So this, like I said, it's kind of action as resilience. And for me, I think this is kind of that phase of like, what do you do 
with how you've been changed. You know, the new way you see and engage with the world around you as a result of what you have gone through. And I think for me, this kind of action as resiliency, that couldn't really materialize for me until I'd moved out of the stage of acute grief around the fertility struggles I was in. I was just needing a lot of care and acknowledgement from others. I was needing to make those other resiliency choices around letting people in, journaling, you know, embracing what was coming up for me emotionally. But as I found myself getting into a steadier place in my spirit, the acute grief softening, I found myself activated on behalf of others in some new ways that are just uniquely connected to what I had gone through and just the wisdom I think this can look different for everyone, but for me, it looked like making myself available and more attuned and open to others who are suffering in a similar way to what I'd gone through. And I think for me, that really showed up in three realms. And it was, one was just really little things. I I always say that it really helped me grow in my awareness for just, I'm more aware of the secret struggle that many might be facing with infertility and loss. And it's just really reshaped my language and how I sense to engage with women around asking questions about their families or when they plan to have children. So it's really built my sensitivity lens in a way that I just didn't have before. And so that to me, even though that's not like a really concrete action, it is because it changes how I engaging with people. And then the second thing is I've just really made myself available to connect with other women around me that I know who've either found me because they know someone who knows me and knows my story, or I happen to kind of lean into a conversation and learn a little more. So just things where I've just been available to have conversations with people who have gone through this. To have someone on your side who's like, yeah, I get it. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I know what you're talking about and not everyone's experience is going to be the same, even in the midst of infertility struggles, but there is a camaraderie sense that can be very relieving. So that's been a place for me where that's been a movement of action into resiliency. And then, you know, really the last thing is I, this is what's been such an odd link for me is I'm someone who has always been so much more in the background. I'm like, oh, I don't want to teach. I just kind of am quiet and behind the scenes. But what has happened for me is I've just really been feeling stretched and called to arise within me around this space of wanting to speak up about this and be a voice for people. So I have really branched out. I've done a podcast series with the Allender Center specific around our story, which was just a huge choice for me to do. And I was terrified and I stepped into it. It's been really about letting my kind of unique corner of of heartache turn into a place where I'm a listening ear and just also offering a voice for people who might just need to hear what my story is and how that might intersect with theirs and offer some care or hope for them. So really, again, I don't know what that will look like for each person, but it's that movement kind of out of, I, it's out of self-care into kind of other centered awareness and care. And that's what I always tell people. If you gone through some trauma or tough life situations, especially if they're afraid of writing things down or sharing their story. Number one, you don't ever have to share it. But if you do, how beneficial is it for someone either just now going through what you went through or about to go through that? And you can be such a benefit to those folks when you reach back and help someone else get through that easier because of what you've shared. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jeanette, I can tell you have become a much stronger and more resilient person through this tough situation that you've gone through. I really appreciate you speaking out about it because it's going to help a lot of people. 
Yeah. Oh, gosh. It feels so odd to say that it feels like a privilege to get to speak about it because, again, would never have wished this right. on our lives. Right. have so much grief every time I hear of another person who's going through something like this. And when I was in a different season with this, we kind of balk it like, oh, I, I'm not going to turn this into, you know, it's not like this isn't a make, make lemonade out of lemons kind of thing. And, and I certainly don't want to reduce it down to that. But it is a privilege now to be able to join and come alongside others in a way that I never would have known to do, known how to do if I had not gone through this. And that I will just allow to be a gift. Amazing. Well, Jeanette, thank you so much for your time today. And I really appreciate you sharing your story and your resiliency. Absolutely. Thank you for the invitation, Stacy. It's great to talk with you. Welcome to Stacy's Journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. Jeanette talked about letting people in as one of the steps to resilience. That is actually a huge step to being a more resilient person, bigger than it sounds. Have you ever been in a situation where someone offered help and your very first answer is no thank you, even before you thought about it? Then later you struggle alone. That is so hard for many of us. Often it's for one of three reasons. We want to be the person who has it all together, and accepting help is seen, in our screwed up minds, as a sign of weakness. By accepting help, we admit that we are vulnerable. Part of being vulnerable is risking community. We have become such an individualistic society that being a giving and receiving part of a community is almost a foreign concept. Oh, we can talk community, but to actually live it out in real life is a very vulnerable yet strong thing to do. And the number three, we risk people failing us again and again. Perhaps they won't say just the right thing or they'll give us advice that we don't really want. It's inevitable, really. People do fail us and we should expect that to happen. However, if we do let people in, become vulnerable, accept help in our times of weakness, we actually see ourselves become stronger and discover the benefits of fellowship like we have never experienced before. We are social beings made for connection. So next time someone offers help, stop before you decline and consider saying yes. That's all we have for today. Last episode, Rachel Clinton shared her thoughts on tending to heartbreak. So if your heart has ever longed to be tended to, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, we'll interview Peter Shankman, whose brain runs faster than normal. He shares his insight into why the ADHD brain is a gift. So stay tuned for that. I love interacting with our listeners on social media. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. Before you go, don't forget to register for the upcoming webinar, Four Simple Proven Methods to Writing the First Chapter of Your Life Story in Just Seven Days. Head over to stacybrookman.com slash webinar for that. One more thing, we're having fun counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. So our memoir of the day is Pearl Buck's The Child Who Never Grew, written in 1950. This candid memoir of Buck's relationship with her oldest daughter, who was born with a rare type of mental retardation. A forerunner of its kind, the memoir helped demolish the cruel taboos surrounding learning disabilities. Buck describes life with her daughter and how she learned respect and reverence for every human mind. 
It's brave and touching. The Child Who Never Grew is a heartrending memoir of parenting. Check out The Child Who Never Grew and all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com slash 100 memoirs. While you're out and about today, remember, life is a story and it's never too late to start telling yours.